Physiotherapy for animals has come of age and it is now considered part of mainstream animal health treatment. You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. Hello, I'm Sarah Cruikshank. I'm a veterinary physiotherapist in Auckland, New Zealand. I run two businesses, Vet Physio Limited, which has been going for about 10 years, which is a mobile and clinic-based equine service for equine physiotherapy. I also treat riders and small animals at a Parnell clinic in central Auckland. And more recently in 2016, I set up VSA Physio, which is a physio and rehabilitation service based out of veterinary specialist Auckland. Let's start right at the beginning then, Sarah. How do you become a veterinary physio? So it's quite a long process. You have to train as a human physio first. So that's a four-year undergraduate degree. And then once you are a human physio, you can apply to do a master's or a postgraduate diploma in veterinary physiotherapy, which I did through the Royal Vet College in London. Um, And now the University of Liverpool run it. So I had to go and live in London. But Liverpool now have moved with the times and you can do it online and go to the UK for exams and do clinical placements with physios such as myself on this side of the world. So this is the same as far as you know around the world? In Australia and the UK and Scandinavia, as far as I'm aware, um, you're a human, in Canada, you're a human physio first, then you become an animal or veterinary physio. In the States, it's different because every state in the States has a different legislation and you're a physical therapist rather than a physiotherapist. In South Africa, it's different in that there's some qualified human physios that did postgrad training and there's now like an undergraduate degree in animal physio. So I guess the bottom line here is that if you are interested in becoming a physical therapist or a physio for animals, just check your local regulations as to what you have to do. So can you just give us in a nutshell, what does a veterinary physiotherapist do? Sure. So a veterinary physiotherapist does everything that your human physiotherapist would do. So we are essentially trying to restore mobility and function to the body and so we do the same process as we would for a human patient so um, a full history a gait assessment a full body palpatory assessment range of motion etc and some specialized testing and then we offer all the same treatments that you would receive from a human physio so lots of manual therapy hands-on physio techniques um, electrotherapy acupuncture that would again depend on the country and yeah movement and and exercise rehabilitation. Is physio as effective in cats and dogs and horses as it is in humans? I think it's just as effective and I think sometimes it's even more effective because the animals don't have the some of the psychosocial barriers that we as humans have. So having worked as a human physio for a number of years and then specialized in veterinary physio, animals are incredibly rewarding to treat and they respond really well to physio and they just get on with it which is fantastic so they feel the difference and they just get on with life which is great so I think they I think it's just as effective if not sometimes more effective. An old point of view um, when I was practicing back in the early days which dare I say it's almost 40 years ago now the the feeling was that the animal knows how to heal itself let it 
walk it off. It, it, it'll use the leg when it's ready to use the leg. You would be seeing that as being rubbish, obviously. Yes, because I've seen both sides. So I definitely have seen a lot of patients where the animal's been left post-operative. Um, this is really before we had our specialist physiotherapy service at the specialist hospital. And I would see them at, say, eight weeks post-op. And the dog has actually gone, well, I can quite happily run around on three legs, so why would I use my operated leg? And the owner has sort of gone, well, I thought the dog was painful, so I didn't make them or didn't encourage them to stand on it. So actually, they do get on with life, but they'll adapt, which and they'll always take the path of least resistance. So if they've got a slightly painful leg or a weak leg or a leg that doesn't feel like it should, especially if they're an, quite an athletic dog, they'll quite happily run around on three legs. And I think, you know, you probably have said it yourself, like, like lots of vets, you know, dogs are born with three legs and one spare. And we know how well they do with amputation. So actually physio is crucial. And I would get frustrated because I see a lot of post-operative animals that would come to me at 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks post-op. And I'd have to really put a lot of effort into getting them using the leg again. Whereas if I'd seen them early at the six-week mark, they'd be really ready to progress and they'd be walking very well. So we see a big difference getting that early intervention, you know, especially post-operatively. And, you know, I love treating geriatric animals as well, maintaining that quality of life for as long as possible because physio is incredibly helpful for them as well. So that actually brings me on to the next question that I was going to put to you, Sarah. What kind of conditions are you treating and can you quantify how much quicker they're actually responding to the therapy compared with no physio? Sure. So if we mainly focus on um, the small animal rehabilitation for the moment, the conditions we would commonly treat are absolutely um, cranial cruciate ligament um, surgery, so your ACL. We're seeing them day one post-operative and then um, taking them through their program. Uh, we see a lot of spinal dogs, so dogs that have had um, disc prolapses and have come in paralyzed or partly paralyzed and they have decompression surgery, hemilaminectomies, and we again see them day one post-op to get them walking and moving again. And so definitely the feedback from our surgeons is that they see a difference with the rate that the animals are progressing. And the owners are very happy because they have a really specific plan and they're involved you know, inherently in the dog's rehabilitation and they're really proactive with that. There's also a number of procedures that the surgeons would now say they don't do a lot of. So before we had the physio service uh, through VSA, they used to do a lot of biceps release for biceps you know, tendonitis or tendinopathies. And now we do mainly all physio and rehab and they do very few of those procedures. So biceps issues tend to, to come to us first and they do very few releases. And there's a lot of uh, other conditions such as hip dysplasia, especially in younger dogs. Uh, they'll, tr you know, We often try a physiotherapy approach first and then surgery if you know, if that's not successful, and often it's really successful. So we manage the dog through its life uh, without having to have surgery. Obviously, there's always cases where they do need surgery, or they may need only one hip done, and we can help manage their other hip with a non-surgical approach. Being an old skier, rugby player, motocross rider, I've spent my fair share of time at the local physios. It hurts. Some physio hurts. What kind of resistance do you get from your patients? I mean, my physio would just tell tell me to toughen up and, and, and away you goes. Dogs and cats 
have got different defences. How do animals take having physio done to them? Very well for the most part. I think we do have a slightly different approach because we can't say to the animal patient, look, this is for your own good, you know, just suck it up. We do have to have a slightly different approach. We use lots of motivation like food rewards. That really helps if the owner's on board and the owner's there too. We, we do come in a little bit more gently as an animal physio because we want the animal to come back and willingly want to see us. We don't want the owner to have to drag them back in the hospital. And usually they're kind of waiting at the door, you know, ready to come in. They're really keen to come and see us. But definitely some of the treatments, for example, dry needling, we know in humans is some people love it, some people hate it. You know, I've treated large rugby players that have been crying when I've dry needled them. And so, again, that would be an approach that it, it just depends on the animal. It's very effective in horses, and the majority, vast majority of horses respond very well to it. And some of them tr- tolerate that better than in hands-on soft tissue release. So it's a very individualized approach to each animal, depending on what they've got going on and their temperament. And, um, for example, with a cat, we'll allow the same amount of time as a dog, but we may only have their cooperation for three quarters of the time or half the time. And we just do what we can, always working with the feedback they're giving us. And if we have to break it up into a couple of smaller sessions, we'll do that. But generally, we do get a really great response and they're always keen to see us. There's the odd animal that's a little bit anxious, but you know, we really try and make it a very positive experience for the animal and the owner. You've mentioned horses there and you were telling me when we were talking earlier that you've got your week filled up chasing horses around the countryside. What kind of things are you doing with horses and can you do the same sort of treatments with horses that you can with cats and dogs and humans? You're moving some pretty heavy muscles and some pretty heavy bones. No, I agree. And I think um, there's a lot of some misleading terminology when it comes to manipulation of of horses. Um, there's just no way anatomically you can manipulate a horse's thoracic or lumbar spine. I mean, having dissected horses, you know, even with all the muscles gone, you cannot move those joints in a, in, a, in a way that would you'd call a manipulation. And, of course, they're standing. So we've got postural muscle tone to deal with, whereas a, a dog, cat, or a human, we can normally get them relaxed and lying down on their side for certain treatments. So it's very different with horses, but they're also used to having a lot of things done to them. They're used to standing tied up. They're used to being held. They're used to having the farrier pick up all their feet and being touched all over their body, whereas some dogs are not used to having their hind paws touched or you know their, their back legs touched very frequently. So it is a very different approach, but that's why we do use other techniques such as dry needling. Some of our electrotherapies, pulse electromagnetic therapy, penetrates quite deeply. And uh, some of those treatments are really effective for larger animals with, bit, like you say, much bigger, deeper muscles, like the horse's gluteal muscles, you know, 15 centimetres deep. So dry needling can be very effective. And then we're also working with the animal, doing a lot of active range of motion, getting them to do the stretches for a treat. Carrot, look, we do lots of carrot stretches, and that's very effective at uh, getting the animal to do its own treatment. And we're facilitating it rather than actually physically supporting and holding and moving but we do do lots of passive 
well, semi-passive stretches too. And there's a lot of manual therapy you can still do with a horse. You can, you know, you can mobilize their the joints through their cervical spine, but that would be mobilization rather than an actual manipulation. What kind of support do you get from veterinarians? Veterinary physio is a relatively new, in New Zealand anyway, a relatively new speciality. Talking to some vets, they sort of put it in the in the same sort of realm as crystal therapy, if you like. So are you coming across resistance? Not really. We work with a really fantastic group of both um, small animal and large animal vets in Auckland. But, uh, you know, I've had to work to build that reputation as well. When I first came back from the UK uh, 10 years ago, I was the first New Zealander to be a qualified veterinary physio. And yes, definitely, there was a bit of eye rolling because there were people out there doing, you know, unqualified uh, doing things to horses that and animals that, you know, wasn't necessarily professional. So I had to really work at those relationships and show some of the vets what I, you know, what my qualifications were and what I could do. And at the end of the day, we really want to work with the vet because um, just like in the human field and the multidisciplinary team, you know, as a human physio, we're working with our sports physicians, GPs, um, podiatrists, massage therapists, etc. There's a there's a place for everyone, and that's always been my approach with animal or veterinary physio. Is I just am what you know I'm part of a team, and the owner or the client is usually really happy when they feel that they're getting the best of care from their multidisciplinary team. So in the equine world, that would be the vet, the physio, the farrier, the saddle fitter, the coach, um, and the small animal team. That might be the GP, vet, the specialist. Um, the hydrotherapist, the physio. And uh, for example, I think I, well, I'm pretty pleased with the job I've done in in Auckland at least because, you know, when the um, specialist group VSA set up their second hospital in Sylvia Park, they came to me and said, we have to have physio in our new hospital. You know, it's, 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 it's non-negotiable. It's, 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 you know, part of our um, philosophy. And that was pretty cool that having worked with them for a number of years with them referring patients to me, they really, really saw the benefit in having that physiotherapy service. When I used to go to the physio, you'd be sent home with a list of exercises and a big rubber band. How much can your clients do for their animals at home? Are they sent home with a list of instructions? Yes, absolutely. So really, the owner or the client is the the most crucial part of an animal's rehabilitation because they're responsible for what that animal does 23 or 23 and a half hours a day, you know, we may see them once, once a week or twice a week for 45 minutes or an hour. Um, and so really the onus is on the owner and it's our job to educate them. So yes, all of our clients, so that would be the human involved, the, the patient is the animal. All of our clients get um, quite a decent list of homework to do. And generally, they're very much on board with everything we tell them to do. I often think, gosh, I wish my human patients were this motivated, you know, to do their exercises at home. And the animals love it because usually it involves treats. And so I, f- I figure, well, if we if we treated our human patients and said, could you just do your exercises for this block of chocolate or this glass of wine, we'd probably get better buy-in. But yeah, generally the clients, and especially if they've had a surgery, you know, they've already made a significant financial investment in their animal and they are really willing to do whatever it takes to maximise that investment and get the best outcome. And that is a big thing. Part of our job is that education of the client because it's not just the exercises, it's the management. So we talk about everything from 
home environment, the flooring, where the dog sleeps, where they walk, how they walk, if they walked in a harness or a collar. For a horse, it would be what is their job? You know, how often are they ridden? Where do they live? What's their environment? So there's a lot of information we take on board and then we tailor our program to each animal. And there's yeah, a huge part of what we do is education of the, of the human client. You mentioned earlier, Sarah, about the treating of geriatric animals. A couple of questions about that. What can you actually do to help these geriatrics? And if people have got an old dog, do they have to go through a referral veterinarian to get in contact with their physical therapist or their physio, or can they go directly? So in New Zealand, you don't require a veterinary referral to see a physio, but we do communicate with your vet. So we will often request clinical records and any other relevant records. I know in the UK, you have to have a veterinary referral to see a physiotherapist, so that would be a bit different, and in other parts of the world, it will be different again too. So in terms of, if we go back to the geriatric patient we see huge benefit in treating them so generally we'd be treating them for potentially multi-site arthritis and we often have them walk in the door and the owners are kind of you know thinking that really the time's come that they you know they've lost their mobility time to make a, a difficult decision and often we can give them another six months even up to one to two years with physiotherapy for arthritis modifying their exercise, their home management, supporting the client with just even some basic advice, bedding, non-slip flooring, raising food and water bowls, doing a couple of short walks a day rather than still trying to to take them out for a longer walk. And we definitely find a lot of our treatments are very effective for arthritis. For example, laser therapy is really, really a big part of how we manage our osteoarthritic animals. Crystal ball time, Sarah. Where do you see physio going in future? I think it's only going to get stronger as a profession. It's definitely becoming, I wouldn't say it's mainstream yet. I sort of clients that say, oh, I told my friend I was taking my dog to the physio and they, you know, laughed out loud. But, um, you know, we've got more and more qualified veterinary physios coming through in this country. So we have a, a group called the New Zealand Animal and Veterinary Physiotherapy Association. We have about 20 members majority of which now are qualified. There's um, a few students that are coming through nearly qualified. So I think as that group grows and people have more access to qualified animal or veterinary physios, the, the profession becomes more mainstream. So I think it's going from strength to strength. And we know that, for example, just the pet industry is huge. And I think this year, having been a challenging year with COVID-19, people have realised how important and tough times their animals are to their quality of life and their well-being. And we definitely see, you know, so many animals that are an integral part of the human family. I mean, I've got five horses, three chickens and two lovely greyhounds and, you know, they're my family and um, I do anything for them. And I know a lot of our clients are the same. So I think it's going from strength to strength, that's for sure. And, and for years it was limited because there were very few qualified veterinary physiotherapists in, in this country and it's uh we're, our numbers are definitely growing which is fantastic just a little bit of a teaser here sarah we are interviewing hannah sadler who is a veterinary hydrotherapist 
who works for your organisation fairly soon for a program. How does hydrotherapy briefly fit in with what you do? It's become a really integral part of our service. So when we set up the physio service at VSA, hydrotherapy was always going to be part of it. And a vast majority of our patients get referred for hydro and we see fantastic results. So we specifically use the underwater treadmill because it's controlled and the animal's weight-bearing, so it's functional, but we can alter the level of weight-bearing with the height of the water. And um, it's very safe, it's controlled, and we can do so much with it. And definitely, you know, our, our surgical patients get in there reasonably early as soon as their wound is sealed. We get dogs walking for the first time following spinal surgery. They can't walk on land, but we can get them walking in the water, which is fantastic. And it's been a really big part, again, of our geriatric management and that um, and a lot of dogs that have ongoing underlying conditions such as hip dysplasia. We get them to a certain point and then they maintain really well with hydrotherapy. So it's great for mobility, weight loss, which again is crucial for a lot of the geriatric patients. And it's a lovely form of exercise and the owners really see a huge benefit. So it's got weight loss, muscle strength, fitness, cardiovascular fitness and functional weight bearing. And the uh, hydrotherapists do an amazing job of really um, modifying and they can facilitate certain movements or different gates or different movement patterns in the treadmill, which really then we see the benefit of when we see the animal on land as physios. So essentially our hydrotherapists are so good at what they do they are their own independent service and we work so closely with them but they give us so much great feedback Uh, I don't know what we'd do without them. So watch the space we'll be talking to Hannah very soon. Sarah thank you very very much for the time that you've spent I will put a link up on our website which if you remember is vetpodcast.weebly.com which will link back to Sarah and her team so thank you very very much. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just search at Vet Podcast and like us while you are there. Subscribe to us on your usual podcast player. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us on your player and share us with your friends. Our website is vetpodcast.weebly.com. Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y. Or email vetpodcast at gmail.com.